I'll try it again. Good morning again. Uh, we're going to be in James, James chapter one, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 25. Uh, when we look at James, uh, it's an interesting book. It's one of my favorite New Testament books for the, the simple fact that you have here an epistle of James where he's talking directly to Christians like ourselves. They had heard the message of Jesus. They had begun to walk down this road of salvation of what this means to follow Christ. And in the midst of it, you have here concerns about, okay, we've heard the message of Jesus and we've got the gospel now. What do we do with it? Where do we go? And here in James, he, he writes very plainly. James is not the man that is eloquent speech all wrapped up and you, you're left with prose and you're left with this poetic language that you just can't unravel. He's talking directly to us. The Christians at this time would have understood this. He was talking plainly. And so he talks plainly to us. James is really easy to understand because he's very blunt. And we like that sometimes. And then other times we don't because James is really blunt. And it hurts sometimes. And today we're going to be talking about what he says for listening and doing. And it's one of those passages that is so easy to read and so hard to do. So just before we get reading, I'm going to pray one more time because, well, we need it. I love it. Heavenly Father, guide us as we read your word. Open our hearts and our souls to what you would do. Father, may we submit everything to you. May we drop all the concerns, all the fears, all the worries. Lord, it is easy to get distracted. And right now, right here, this is time for you and us. May we enter into it humbly and willingly. May your word speak to us as it always does. May Christ be glorified as we read and we study all things that point to him. Holy Spirit, guide our hearts and our souls and help us to see where we must change, where we must lay down our wills, and where we must follow. Turn always towards you more and more. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so James, once again, I said he's blunt. He's got right to us. The first sentence, you know, he gets right to the heart of what we're, we're talking about. He's got these Christians that are struggling. Okay, they heard the message of Christ and we've heard it. What do we do with it? What's the practical implications for us? Where do we go? What now? 
And here in the first sentence, he says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's enough to work on for the rest of our lives. Okay? And you know, I could read that and read that and read that and read that, and I'd still come back and I'd still say, not quite there yet, not quite there yet, not quite there yet. And here, James starts us off with the easy one. You gotta be quick to listen. Now, listening is different than hearing, and I want to tell you the difference. You can hear things, but that does not mean that you necessarily took it in, okay? And I can relate with this as a husband. Uh, I have a wife, and she talks very plainly to me, and I still manage to... I don't know what I do with it. It just goes one ear and out the other, I think, a lot of times. And just the other day, I had this. We, we had a moment where... We needed to get ready for something, and we were going somewhere, and she left me with the important task of getting the kids ready. To which, when she said, get the kids ready, I've got to go finish up, I thought I heard, watch the kids. And so I watched the kids. I did not get them ready. I got the kids, though. And, of course, you know, because I thought I, that's what I heard, I didn't ask for clarification because, well, that would be too easy. I did what I always do. Yeah, uh-huh. And then we went on. Well, 10 minutes go by and she comes back and the kids aren't ready. Now me, being the very diligent and humble man that I am, admitted my fault. No, I'm pretty sure I said something to, akin to, is that really what you said? It didn't sound like that. Oh, but she even put the clothes on the end of the chair that I was sitting in. She knew, she knew, I fell for it. I wasn't listening. I was hearing, but I wasn't listening. Here, James says the first thing we're tasked to do is be quick to listen. Now, this is hard because when we listen, we've got to be ready to submit ourselves to others. We've got to honestly be willing to sit with them in a time. And that's hard for us because a lot of times when we're not talking, you know what we're, we're really doing? We're not listening. When we're not talking, especially when people are talking to us, a lot of times we're waiting for our turn to talk. We're not, we're not waiting and listening and trying to actually comprehend. We're actually waiting and listening because we've got stuff to say. In our society, it's hard to get the difference between the two. We struggle with this because we're so kind of set that everyone has an opinion. Everybody needs to be heard. And everyone actually needs to get it all out. And we're told this sometimes. That you just got to listen to me. We say that. Everybody says that. We all say that. I say that all the time. Especially my kids. And what I really mean is everyone needs to stop talking and listen to me. But if we all say that, then who's listening? No one. No one's listening. That's the problem. Here, James gets right to the heart of it. We're so quick to not listen that we lack. That simple, we used to call it respect. My grandma used to say that. She'd say, you got to respect your elders, you got to listen when they talk. Okay, that makes sense. But then when we get, we get older, especially when I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a man now, I'm over 18. Now, therefore, I'm an elder, everyone must listen. Because I had to listen, I put in my time, now listen to me. But that's not the way it works, right? And now I'm 30 and I still think that with my kids and they don't care. Because unfortunately, we pass some of that not listening on, right? So here, James is saying you got to listen. You got to open up your ears. 
You want to know the best reason to listen? Because a lot of the time, we fight about stuff that we're not actually fighting about. We misunderstood each other. And how easy, how simple would the world be if we understood each other because we listened to each other? James is getting at the heart of this because the early church is struggling with this. And quite honestly, the proclamation from all of this, what you get out of all of this is we are freeing Christ to finally obey his word. That's what he's getting at. He's introducing these Christians to the fact that now that you're in Christ, you can actually take part in his life. Well, the first task then is to be like Christ. When Christ dealt with people, you know what? The one thing he never did. Now there's other one things he didn't do, but this one's bigger. He never interrupted when someone told a story. You ever think about that? You see all these times where Jesus does these miracles. And you have the man, the Pharisee, who comes in and says, Jesus, my, my daughter's dead. I've turned to everyone. No one can help her. <sighs> Maybe you can. I've heard you do these kind of things. Jesus could have interrupted and said, I, 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 I'm going to stop you at Pharisee and send you back out the door. But he didn't. He listened to this man. He listened to the woman that had been bleeding for years. He didn't say to her, that's a nice story, but I ain't got time for that. Always listening. One of the biggest tasks we have as Christians is to be listeners, especially to each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we owe each other that. Because what if you've got something very important to say, but no one will listen? But if we all treated each other like we always had something important to say, maybe we'd be better at it. Now, I'm going to skip this next one. Slow to speak. The reason why, it's going to become clear. I'm going to move on to slow to become angry. Because we have a problem with that one, right? How easy is it to get angry? I'm going to give you a small definition of anger. Anger is when things don't happen the way we think they should. A more, I don't know what you want to call it, a simpler one. Anytime your will is crossed, that is when you see anger. It's an emotion we're given by God. It lets us know when things aren't progressing the way they should. The catch comes in with, like every other emotion, we should control it and not let it control us. Anger's hard. Because some things make us angry for good reasons, some things make us angry for silly reasons, and most of the time, things make us angry for the wrong reasons. Now, just this last week, actually about two weeks ago, uh, I got into our car, and I turned it on, and it started to shake. And I thought to myself, I'm not a mechanic, I thought to myself, this doesn't seem right. And I don't mean shake, I mean shake. I wasn't even going anywhere, I thought we were having an earthquake. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And of course, I'm not a mechanic, so I go down the list of things that are probably happening. My engine's going to blow up. The car's going to explode. Everything in my life is now shaking for the rest of my life. I couldn't figure it out because I worry about that stuff. It's a car. It's one of those things that you, you take for granted. But if you don't have one, you realize how much you want one. Before I was 16, I always thought when I become 16, I'll be able to drive wherever I want. That is true. If you have gas money and a car that will run, that often is the case. So the minute the car ceases to function in my life, I start thinking of all the things in the places I need to go that I can't. 
Likewise this. My brother, he is a mechanic, and he comes down and he looks at it and he goes, oh, it's just your spark plugs. It's not a big deal at all. And I said, if you don't know how to do your spark plugs, it's a huge deal, because I don't. And, well, I'll, I'll do this for you. And we start talking about it, and he starts explaining stuff to me. And when he does, I listen, and I do this a lot. But it's still doing this, because I don't understand it. And I struggle with it, and he's good with it. He, he's always been that way. I have not. And when a car breaks on him, you know what he does? Lord, we got to figure out this. We got to figure what's going on here. When it breaks, I'm thinking, it's all gone. It's all dead. We're going to have to sell it. We're going to have to buy something else. He doesn't view it as a frustration. I do. It's crossing my will. His will is, I don't care. I can fix it. I never think of it that way. And here, it says, slow to become angry. And the reason is, we're so prone to be wrong. Okay? And I say that because I have been wrong once or twice before. If you ask my wife, it's a little bit higher. But it's true. I've been wrong. And the bad part is, I know when I'm wrong, usually because I am upset. And I figure out that I am wrong, and I'm still upset. And you think if you figured out that you were wrong, you would stop being upset, but you're not. Because now you're upset for a whole new reason. You're upset because the world's not the way you thought it should be. Here for the Christians in James era, they're dealing with the fact that the world says it's okay to be angry. Our world says it's okay to be angry. If you're not angry, sometimes you don't get your way. Sometimes people take advantage of you. But if you yell at them, you scream at them, you let them know that they can't do that to you. Things go better, do they? I've never once yelled at someone and thought, well, that'll change them. I've been yelled at a few times and all I thought was, do they think that's going to change me? Usually when someone yells at you, you don't think, i got to look at my life. I've got to really think about what's going on here. Usually you think, man, that person's horrible. Gee whiz. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And I've had weeks where I think I woke up on the wrong side of the week, maybe, for the whole week. And so here in James, we see that we've got to do something about this. He even goes on to say, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You know, what we really get to is the fact that our will, if it is our will that we think we're doing, we oftentimes think that we got to be right. Something in our world is wrong and we've got to be right about it. And usually what ends up happening is we treat it almost like it's our God-given right to be angry. And as Christians, if we start listening, it's going to start to kind of seem pretty clear that we're wrong a lot. If we actually started listening, we might find out that that person we disagreed with, we really don't disagree with them too much. Actually, we're just on two way separate different pages. Or maybe the, the weird part is sometimes you're not actually disagreeing, you're just calling something a different name. You want someone to care for you and they want someone to love them. And actually, those are just two sides of the same coin. And so here in the midst of this, the anger part gets us. Because it's about submitting our will to God's will. You see, if you're so stoked up to be angry all the time, and you've got to be right, and you've got to do all this stuff, where does that leave any time for God to intervene in your life to change you? You see, that's what he's up to. We see in Christ that we're supposed to enter the newness of life. We're, we've got to be new Christians now. We're starting here. And as new Christians, we're working our way out. 
hopefully we're getting better. Hopefully we're submitting better to the Lord and He's changing us more. But that all presupposes that we're wrong. We're wrong on things. When we're upset and we're angry, we're actually, maybe we're on the wrong. I've heard this before. You can be right and say it in the wrong way. I've never thought about that too much until I've met some people and I thought, that's it. That's what it looks like. When you have a guy that's really right, but they say it in such a way that you're like, it still kind of sounds wrong. Because they're more concerned about being right than they are about what God's up to. We can do that. We can solve sorts of problems down the road. Here, listening, especially learning, let's say that better, learning to listen, and reigning in our anger will help us to speak more intentionally. That's how it works back in to the speaking part. If you're actually listening and you're actually taking the time to submit yourself and your anger to the Lord so that He tells you if this is actually something you should be upset about, you're going to speak less automatically. Because you're going to realize before you open your mouth, I probably shouldn't. Who's that going to help? What's that going to do? Did I actually listen to that person or did I just kind of put it in the back of my head and think, oh, yep, they talk a lot. Now it's my turn. We can do that. And unfortunately, as Christians, when we're doing that, how does God speak to us through other people? How does he enter into that? Because here in the midst of this, James is talking about community, Christian community. This is why these rules matter. They don't matter just because you're going to go out and you're going to talk a lot. They matter because James is literally saying that the Christians inside here, we all as the Christians everywhere, every church, aren't listening to each other. Aren't being present with one another. Aren't developing community with one another because we're all busy trying to talk. And we're all upset because we're all busy trying to talk. But we don't listen. We don't weigh our words. We don't submit our will to God so that God can change us. We just want to talk. Help us. Because we want to talk. Come on, shut up so I can talk. It's hard. And this is where James is blunt, and this is where, if you're not careful, he'll give you a black eye. Because it goes against the grain. This isn't what we thought we were going to be doing. And the worst part is, often we think, but my ideas are so good. And let me tell you, I've got good ideas. Not always great, but they're pretty decent. I mean, I think they could work sometimes. But if I'm more concerned about submitting those to others and letting others enter into that, a lot of my good ideas I found out are bad. And I've also found out that other people add into those ideas and make them better than if I had asked, hadn't offered them. We enter into that. Then James, he starts to talk about listening and doing. So we learn now that as Christians, if we learn to listen to others and finally submit our will to Christ, we'll be able to participate in the righteous life. That's what he says there. But man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So the opposite of that, submitting our will to God brings about a righteous life. So we are freeing Christ to finally obey his word. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Free to be doers of the word. You'll see there the first part, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, knowing the rules isn't the point. If you've been in church for a long time, you may have heard sometimes that people are like, but you got to know more of your scriptures. You do, you do. But they're not a rule book, they're scriptures. They're meant to show us the rule of life, to help us live out Christ. They're not meant to be the end-all, be-all of everything that you could ever possibly run into. So we always run back there. We're always submitting our life to Christ and his word. And that looks a little bit different. Because remember in the Old Testament, they had a lot of laws. And did that help them obey? Nope. It didn't. In fact, the whole Old Testament is a testimony of how laws themselves don't save you. To which God constantly in the Old Testament is reiterating himself of, I haven't asked for your sacrifices. I haven't asked for your burnt offerings. I wanted your hearts. I've always wanted your hearts. But you've not given them to me. In fact, Jesus goes on, and you look through the life of Jesus, he constantly says this, but that's not the purpose of the rules. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees always asking, Jesus, why are you doing that? Why are you letting your disciples eat on the Sabbath? And he says the plain answer of, man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. God meant the Sabbath to be a help, not a hindrance. You see, we twist the Bible so that we make it a rule book. No, we never do anything with it. And Jesus is always asking us to do something with God. Participate with him. And here the first thing he says is, don't be deceived. Don't merely listen to it and then not do it. The gospel of Christ is simple. Jesus came to save us. We were caught in sin. We were going to death and we couldn't do anything about it. And God enters in and saves us, not because we're great grand people, opposite, we were horrible people. And he saves us anyways, because he loves us. We have a God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants the best for us. And now that we're saved, we don't just have to go about our business as usual. We're new people. And new people get to finally do what we should have been doing all along. Live for God. No more burnt sacrifices and offerings but our hearts are truly his. Here, you can relate with this if you've got kids. If you've, you've, well, we've all been kids, so we can relate with this too, that way. I've got a daughter who, I love her. She is smart. She is mouthy, but she is smart. She doesn't like to take naps, but she needs naps because she gets mouthier if she doesn't take a nap. And what I mean by that is she's stubborn, like I was. And my mom always said I'd have a kid like that, and I didn't believe her. <laughs> and she doesn't take these naps. I want her to take a nap because she is just a bear if she doesn't. And in the midst of trying to do this, I always explain myself. You need a nap because you will be grumpy. You will be horribly grumpy if you don't take one. Well, for a four-year-old, that makes not a lot of sense. And so a lot of times... 
especially in the weekend afternoons, you come in and she's doing everything but taking a nap. She's made a game out of a blanket. She's made a game out of the pillows. The pillows can be a pyramid and you could jump on those pillows or you could be in a blanket or you could throw the blanket onto your brother and you could wrap him up because that's fun. And you do all these other things except taking a nap. But when I come in, you know what she knows. Because I, right, what are you supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be taking a nap. She knows the rule. But that does this much for obedience. Doesn't matter. She knows the rule. We know the rules. James even will say the demons know the rules, but they don't get the point. They missed it. We don't want to miss it. Here he's saying that you don't want to deceive yourselves. And he uses that analogy of the mirror. It's like a man who looks in the mirror and when he goes away, he forgets himself. I don't know if you've ever done this, but occasionally I've looked at the mirror and I realized that something was amiss. My hair, there's something in my teeth or whatever the case was. And I got caught up with one thing. I forgot to check the thing I'd actually checked the mirror for. Sometimes it's usually, well, it's usually, it used to be when my hair was longer. It was my hair. Make sure that it was actually like, it looked kept. Not like I was homeless. But I would find out, oh, there's something in my teeth. I would fix the teeth part, wouldn't worry about the hair part. I'd come out and I'd meet people, I'd shake hands and stuff. And then someone would say, man, your hair's kind of all over the place. Well, of course it is. I forgot to do the one thing I said about doing. Here, James is saying the same thing. To be hearers and not doers is very akin to saying that there's a problem that needs to be fixed and then not fixing it. Letting it go. Deciding that it wasn't good enough. Not something you need to worry about. And here he says, you got to be thinking about this, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. In fact, he goes so far as saying that, but the man who looks intently, who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's what Christ is. Christ is all about freedom. In the midst of this, James is saying, if you are a Christian and you are free, you are finally free to do what Christ has called you to do, which is obey. You're finally free to do what you should be doing, which is what Jesus said we were supposed to be doing. Boiling down all those commandments, all those hundreds and hundreds of laws to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He says on these two commands, hang the whole law. That's the simplicity of it. And in the midst of that, you know that story of the Samaritan? The one thing they couldn't figure out, the one thing we struggle with is, Jesus says, well, how do you apply these commands? And he tells that story of the Samaritan. And at the end, he says, what? So which of these people was the good neighbor? You see, the people in James here were wondering how to be Christians, wondering how it applies. And in the midst of this, James is saying, you got to start somewhere, and here's where I want you to start. We're going to shut our mouths more. We're going to listen. We're going to figure out what that looks like. And we're going to learn how to control our anger and not let it control us. And then when we do those things, we're going to figure out that we're going to start being doers, not listeners only. We've listened to it. It's good. It's grand. What Christ is saying is go do it. Go out. Preach it. Live it. Don't be people that just talk about it. We're going to do it. And James is saying, that's great. And you know where we should start? Right here. 
right in amongst us because this is where we need it the most. How are we going to get the people in if when they come in, it looks just like the outside? See, at our house, there's a porch, and the porch doesn't have heating and it doesn't have air conditioning. So when you go from the outside to the inside and you think you enter in that first door, you're like, oh, it's going to be really great in here, especially on days when it's hot. You figure out it's not. It's just as horrible as it was outside. You're just now inside. It's deceptive, and I don't like it. It always tricks me every time. Here, like us, we don't want to be like that. That cool breeze that you get when you enter your house when the AC is on and you've just been really hot and you've been outside all day, that's what the church is like if you want to distill it to a feeling. It's that first time you open the door and you enter in and it's so cool you don't want to ever leave. And that's what James is saying for us. We want to be that. We don't want to be the place where people gather because they want to hear how bad they are. We want to be the place where people gather to figure out what we're supposed to be doing together. What that looks like. And James is saying the first thing it's going to look like is we got a lot of work to do with each other. And when we get on that, we can start doing other stuff. Doing rather than just hearing. As Christians, we are able to put actions behind loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves because we are free in Christ to finally obey. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us. Help us to be a people that are bold. Not just hearers, but doers. Help us to be a people that listen. We take part in community because we want to listen to our brothers and our sisters. We want to be the kind of people that love to encourage them by listening. Love to be a place in all the world where there's so much noise, so much horrible background static, that this is the one place where you can find the peace to say what's on your heart. And help us to be a people that lay down our will. Not wanting our anger and our hearts to be enraged, but wanting to submit our wills to you. So you can change us. Make us a people slow to speak. Mighty in action. Because we need to be. We love you. We thank you, Father, that you teach us, you show us, and you refuse to leave us because you love us so much. We thank you. We praise you. We pray our love will grow deeper for you. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.